It's May 21st, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and as always, I am super excited and honored that you are joining us for our reading in the One Year Bible uh, out of the New Living Translation. As a reminder, this is a community podcast. I'm just uh, inviting you into my own devotional life, reading through the Bible together in a year, not preparing or really planning for these podcasts. Uh, and I'm doing that on purpose because I want to just kind of share my raw thoughts uh, as I read. And you know, my hopes are as you listen uh, that you would hear things in God's Word and share those uh, things with me. Because I truly believe that the Bible comes to life when we read it in community. That's the way uh, the early church, the Israelite people, God's people, have done it for thousands and thousands of years. It's only recently that we have this idea that we're supposed to just read it by ourselves. And while I want you to read it by yourself... I believe that it should always be in the context of community, and uh, truly when we start to share uh, what God is doing uh, collectively, that is when worship breaks out. And as always, we're going to jump in with our Old Testament reading. We're going to finish the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 29 through 31. Let's go. Chapter 29, verse 1. The entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek. And the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistine commanders demanded, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish told them, This is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years, and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were very angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into battle with us. What if he turns around, turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sing in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. What have I done to deserve this treatment? David demanded. What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish insisted, As far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders are afraid to have you with them in battle. Now, get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines, while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. Chapter 30, verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town in Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev in Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Anime from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And really, that's the, uh, the the story of David uh, and what makes David so special. It's not 
uh, that he, uh, in and of himself, is just an amazing guy. Uh, we'll see he makes many mistakes. And, uh, you know, when, when Samuel comes to anoint him as king, his family didn't think he was anything special. In fact, his dad uh, brought out every single one of his sons except David. And God said, no, I want the one out in the field, uh, the one that you never expected, David. What makes David uh, amazing and what makes the story of David uh, important for us, uh, for, for one of the reasons it makes it important to us, is that David, this verse sums it up, found his strength in the Lord, his God. He's a man after God's heart. He trusts in God in all things. We've seen that in his story with Saul. Uh, he had the opportunity to kill Saul, and yet he trusted that the Lord's plan would play out. He didn't take things into his own hands. He trusted in God. And really, that's what we are asked to do, to have faith in God. Um, that is salvation, right? Like, you, you cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do to be good enough to stand in the presence of God, uh, to be justified before God. No, it's trusting in God's plan uh, that you'll be justified ultimately. And it's trusting in God's plan right now that you'll be vindicated even in your life as you walk day to day. This is the gospel message, right? That Jesus came and he did for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus is the greater David in many senses in that he came and he truly did lead, lead a blameless life, a righteous life. And he died an atoning death on the cross. See, the penalty for sin is death. So why did God die? Why did Jesus die when he came uh, as a human? Well, he died uh, for you. He took your penalty so that you might share in his reward of everlasting life. And in this death, he exhausted the powers of evil. And three days later, or on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do, victorious. And it was this new creation bursting forth, inviting you and I to take part in that new creation. We get a purpose in helping restore things back to the way they ought to be, as God is working out his plan of making things right through Jesus. And we await the future glorious hope in which Jesus will come back and ultimately fulfill what he says, ultimately making all things brand new, including you and I as his children and as citizens in the kingdom of God. And how does that all happen for us? What do we do? We trust in God. We, we seek after God. Are we perfect? No, we stumble. But what do we do? We trust in God. And people sometimes say, you know, how, how were the people in the Old Testament... Um, how, how do they experience salvation? And I think when people say that, they they mean particularly at the end of life when they stand before God, uh, how, how did they escape the judgment that they deserved from God? And um, when we talk about salvation, we talk about it in, in much grander terms, that salvation begins now. You begin eternal life right now. You, you can follow Jesus, repenting from your wisdom to his wisdom, and begin to live and taste the kingdom of God even while you live now. Uh, you know, So how do people experience that before Jesus? Well, uh, the same way we do. They trusted in God's plan. Now, we know God's plan is ultimately culminated in Jesus, so we trust in Jesus. The people of Israel in the Old Testament, they didn't know how God was going to work it out, but they trusted that God was going to work it out. And that is how we are all saved, by trusting in the plan of God. And that plan is most seen and fulfilled and uh, climaxes in Jesus Christ, who comes uh, as man, but also as God, the divine coming to the human living life we couldn't live, dying the death we deserve to die, victoriously rising again and inviting us into and to participate with him in the new creation. Beautiful. But David found strength in the Lord his God. May that be said of all of us. But Blake found strength in the Lord his God. May you today find your strength in the Lord your God. Verse 7. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. 
So Ebiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his men of 600 set out, and they came to the brook of Esor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Ketherites in the Negev, the territory of Judah, in the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them. And they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. The plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook of Besser and met with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, They didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, No, my brothers, do not be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. You see, that's, that's what happens when we trust in God, my friends. We have humility. Like we realize it wasn't our righteousness that accomplished it. When we really truly understand that grace is Jesus doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, we become a lot more uh, forgiving and humble of other people who fall short. And that's exactly what happens here. Um, the men are like, hey, these guys didn't go fight with us. They don't deserve to, to uh, you know, be a part of the plunder. And you know, to which you and I would probably say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You didn't work for it. You don't get it. But what David realizes is that none of them deserve it. That without God, none of them uh, would would be able to uh, share in the victory. And so since it's not their victory, it was God's victory, they don't really have the right to exclude certain people. God was forgiving and uh, merciful and grace-filled with them, so they ought not be selfish uh, and judgmental and condemning of others. We all the more, my friends, with the gospel of Jesus Christ should have that attitude. David continues, verse 23. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. Here's a present for you, taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns David had visited. Bethel, ramoth Gimeath, Jader, Aor, Sipamoth, Eskimatoa, Rascal, the to towns of Jeremalites, the towns of the Kenites, 
Horma, Borshan, Achich, Hebron, and all the other places David and his men had visited. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gibeloh. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Amminadab, and Machalusha. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run through and taunt and torture me. But his armor-bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and his troops all died together that same day. And there we see verse 6, the very sad ending of the first king of Israel, Saul. He started as a man chasing after God. The power ruined him. And how does he end his time as king? By committing suicide so that he wouldn't face torture from the Philistines. Verse 7. And this, my friends, is why God is the only one true king. Power corrupts us. Amen. Verse 7. When the Israelites on the other side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gibeloh. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroths, and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Beth Shean. That's disgusting. <laughs> Verse 11. But when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, excuse me, when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled throughout the night to Beth Shean and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh where they burned the bodies. Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the Tamakrash tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. This concludes the book of 1 Samuel, and it concludes our Old Testament reading for the day. Moving on to the New Testament, John chapter 11, verse 55 through chapter 12, verse 19. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him 
and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what he what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. That concludes the New Testament reading for the day. Moving on to our Proverbs of the day. It's going to be Proverbs chapter 15, verses 24 through 26. The path of life leads upward for the wise. They leave the grave behind. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he protects the property of widows. The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. Finally, we will be reading in a posture of prayer, Psalm 118. As always, I would encourage you to pause and pray as you feel led. That's about 18 verses today. So I am just going to pray at the end. I don't know why I said about 18 verses. It literally is 18 verses. <laughs> Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who hear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Father, we can join with the psalmist um, in the truest of ways in saying that we live because of you. Your faithful love endures forever. Uh, and we know that all the more clear as we've seen the fulfillment of your plan. As the New Testament would say, we um, have seen a mystery revealed that uh, the psalmist himself would have longed to know uh, how it was going to work out. Uh, as the people in the Old Testament trusted in you, just as David, um, and that is how they found salvation. Lord, we now uh, know what it looks like to trust in you fully, and that is by trusting in Jesus. The culmination of the story, the climax of the story. Uh, of your grand narrative that this whole thing we're wrapped up in is all about. 
Lord, through him, we find forgiveness of sins. Through him, we find power and purpose in our life. And through him, we have a future hope that, Lord, we will not die, that we will rise again. The great enemy of sin and death will be defeated once and for all, and in fact, was defeated on the cross. And we await the day in which Jesus comes back as a glorious, redeeming king to fully and totally make all things right, the world around us and the people that we are, Lord, transforming us from the inside out. Lord, we are so grateful for your faithful love, especially as expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us live in light of that and praise your name all the more. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for joining me for this 21st of May reading. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and hope that you'll join me back here tomorrow as we will continue reading through the Bible together.